0: This right here makes me feel so empowered. I love this song, and that's why we're kicking it off with the Girl Power Hour with a little Beyonce for inspiration. Welcome to Natalia's Girl Power Hour. My name is Natalia Hernandez. My co-host is Tyler Fox, and we're here to talk about everything girls. We are a show that aims to entertain, empower, and inspire. We talk pop culture. We talk beauty. We talk food. And, of course, we talk about the women who inspire us. Hey, Ty!
1: Hey, we got all kinds of stuff coming up this week, like makeup, Mm -hmm. we'll be talking sex therapy. Yes,
0: we have a sexologist later on on the show. I am super excited to talk to her. Her name is Dr. T, and I'm definitely going to be asking her all of those awkward questions. So that's (laughs) going to be fun. But uh, we're also talking about Rihanna's clapbacks and Fenty Beauty, which I love. And this episode's theme is called The Fearless Summer. Because Fearless. Yes, because I think fear is something that we all struggle with sometimes. For and, sure. Whether it's the fear of acceptance, the fear of what people think, the fear of taking that next step. And we're also going to be reviewing the Summer of Music, all Kanye's albums that have come out. Drake's double album that oh just came my out. Gosh. The Carter's album. So good. So we'll be talking music, too. So let's dive on in. Ty, what is fear to you?
1: I think to me fear is probably failure and the two go hand in hand. So, I mean, I'm kind of one of those people like I will lay awake at night worrying about if I'm going to fail about something. So, I would say fear and failure sort of go together for me personally. And it don't matter what it is. I mean, whether you fail at your job, you fail at life, whatever. I mean, like, you know, that to me creates a little bit of panic.
0: Absolutely. The fear of failure is oftentimes what holds people back. That's why people don't take that next step because they're just afraid of failing, but you'll never know if you don't try, right? Yeah,
1: that's the truth.
0: So, have you ever been Scared to do something? Oh my god,
1: all the time. There's things that happen all the time that I'm afraid of. Like, um, I had to fix my toilet in my bathroom, which I'm sure you ladies <laughs> can appreciate um, if you don't have a man living with you. Um, right. You know, and sometimes us guys were like, oh, damn, what the hell am I going to do with this situation? Um, I was very afraid because I was thinking, well, damn, what if I break the porcelain on the toilet and I get a leak? Or I get water all over the floor, and it creates another, like, problem with the flooring. So, I mean, like, that kind of stuff kind of scares me. Fixing things, it scares me. But I I don't let it... I don't let it fester enough that I'm too afraid to dive in, mm-hmm. you know? So I'll do it, but I'm still afraid. You know, it don't matter if it's the toilet or the car, yes. you know?
0: That's like when I, like, if I see a cockroach and I have to kill it, I'll do oh, it, but I'm scared. Yes. <laughs> I'll be calling my old roommate.
1: I'm like, can you come over and get this bug? Yeah. <laughs> I can't handle it. Snakes scare me too, though. Yeah? Are you afraid of snakes?
0: Uh, I grew up in Florida, so I grew up next to snakes, alligators. Oh. Like, like back in the day, for real, we used to jet ski in canals filled with alligators, and we weren't scared of that. Like, I I was like... a at I didn't know. No, Not even a little bit. It was normal to have gators everywhere. So, like, we were just being kids. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't jump in the water if we sure. saw one. But, like, there wasn't, like, this crazy panic like there is now. Like, now you think of an alligator. You're like, holy crap.
1: Me, yeah. You know? yeah. What do you do, though, if you fall off the jet ski, though? And I, then you're in the water with the gator. It's
0: too late to find out now. <laughs> right. Hey, thank God
1: we survived. <laughs> I
0: made it. Um, has anything ever scared you career-wise? Because you're in radio. Yeah. You're a radio personality. You've worked in several different markets.
1: I think the people in the business sometimes yourself excluded um, scare me a little more than the job itself. That part of it doesn't really scare me, but it's the people and the intentions and the motivations. That kind of stuff frightens me a yeah. lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember. Remember when Gwen Stefani's um, debut album came out when she had her her first solo album? Yes. And there was that song. What Tragic you waiting Kingdom. for? No, not that one. That was no doubt. The Gwen oh, Stefa- her first one yes, around yes. two
1: thousand. Yeah, I yeah. remember.
0: So there was a song on there called "What You Waiting For." Remember what you waiting for? Yeah. Okay. That song used to be my theme song. Oh, it was? Yes, because it was all about overcoming fear. Like sure. what are you waiting for? Like, just do it. Because, you know, like in the song, she's talking about, you know, she has a million dollar contract. And right. They're waiting right, for right, her hot right, right, right. Like, what is she waiting for? <laughs> and I really felt that, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not a million dollar contract. Right. Yet.
1: <laughs> but you're living like it though. Know,
0: right. Living yeah. your best life. Okay, but um I remember listening to that song and being like, "Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I can do put this. me up, yeah, because sometimes in, in radio and I'm sure with other jobs, a lot of time there's judgment, Sure, because what we do is part of our personality, which is kind of like who we are, right so it's always scary, and I'm always afraid of rejection. Because you get told, like, some really crazy shit sometimes. People
1: are harsh in this business. I mean, really, and a lot of it, like, you know, like I was saying, like, what really kind of scares me about the business is you have egos. Like, you can't outshine your boss because you make your boss look bad. Or if you outshine a coworker that, Mm -hmm. you know, was supposed to be extra great and you outshine them, you know, it's a fine balance between not dimming yourself and being true to who you are. But also dealing with some of the harsh criticism that you get back from some of these people that may or may not be intimidated by you. Or maybe they just don't like you. But really, who cares if they don't like you anyway? Right. Yeah, really, for
0: real. I remember I had a radio job where I really wanted to be on the air, but I was doing promotions. Okay. Because I've done, you know, many we different can really, jobs, yeah. right? So, um, I actually stepped to the program director. I gave him an air check, which is like a radio resume, right, where you put your best stuff together. Yeah, so
1: it's like can... a demo. It's like an audio demo exactly. to those of you that have, like, no idea yeah. what the hell an air check is. It's yeah. like a Two or three minute audio. Yeah, yeah, sample. it's a clip.
0: Yeah, so I gave it to him and I was so excited because I was like, "Ooh, I know I'm gonna get this." You know, I got, the I got this. I got this. He looked at me right in my face and he said, "You will never be on the air here.
1: Wow, I need you
0: back there on promotions."
1: Oh my and goodness! And I remember being
0: so Yes,
1: that is so and, mean. But well, you
0: know why? Because I was helping them make like a lot of money with some of the stuff that we were doing at the sure. time, and they were more worried about revenue. Than they were about developing letting me, talent, right? And That's to, scary, right? And talent, you know, being talent was my dream, so that was crushing. Another time, before I was with Sean now, um, back when I just had two kids and I was a single mom, um, I was told single mom should never be on the radio. Why? Because people are jerks,
1: because you're not relatable because you have kids, right. what? Because like, exactly. you ain't got a man,
0: exactly. That is so
1: relatable, <laughs> but I'm um, saying,
0: but like, after I left that job. I really was scared to get back into it because I had such a bad experience right. that it was scary thinking, oh, my God, am I, if I get another job, are they going to really, like, make me feel bad about my life, about who I am? You know, are they going to judge me? Are they going to, like, because even now in our business, it didn't matter what you look like, and now it does.
1: Yeah, because now you're a package and you're a public commodity that, you know, is packaged a different way for another different sales purpose.
0: Right. And there's a lot of different careers that actually incorporate social media now. So it's not even just radio that you have to be worried about what you look like. Right, right? exactly. Even makeup artists or anybody in the beauty industry, even stores and corporations, everybody is on the gram.
1: Right, exactly. So they've all got got like a packaged look that you kind of have to like fit into. But, you know, the thing with radio is you have to be so many things. You have to be dynamic. You have to have the look like you were saying. You Mm -hmm. also have to know how to do other things like production, which is an off-air kind of thing. Or maybe have your hands in promotions or something else. So, I mean, there's so many things, but all of it comes back to the same thing, which is the listener presentation.
0: Right. And at the end of the day, you know, I had already been told horrible things, so it's like, what could they possibly say that I haven't already heard? Like, my feelings have already been hurt, so why not try? And I did. I, I tried to get another job, and I did, and it was successful. But there was definitely, like personally a lot of resistance certainly even try again
1: right because you already feel beaten down yeah yes i had a program director tell me one time he said hey tyler don't be funny on the radio you are not funny oh my god right in front of my co-host he said that right in front of my (gasps) co-host so you know of course being the smart ass i am like i of course mentioned that during the morning show when we happened to have like a vegas headliner in studio Mm -hmm. he was laughing at something i said i said don't laugh my boss is listening And he was like, well, what are you talking about? I said, he let me know that I'm not very funny, so I should just try and drop that whole shtick, because it's not yeah, for me. Yeah. He's like, well, I think you're funny. And then, you know, we were laughing. And
0: You know what's oh. funny? I had a crazy PD that told me one time not to laugh on the air, because nobody wanted to hear our laugh. And we and that just made us laugh more. Right. And then every time we'd say something funny, like, we'd have don't to, like, laugh hold it, it funny. in. So we were like,
1: <laughs> don't laugh.
0: So we would make a joke and be like... <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not <laughs> supposed to be laughing right now.
0: <laughs> um, but anyway, the song that totally helped me get over that fear at that time was the Gwen Stefani song. Do you have a song that, like, really pumps you up and helps you overcome fear?
1: You know, I mean, I have, like, so many because I listen to so many diverse things from Jay-Z to Amy Winehouse, a little Nos. Um, I would probably say, like, anything Amy Winehouse because it's kind of got, like, that throwback era and the mm-hmm. lyrics are so pure and they're about, like, being in love, so... Um, you know, there's not, like, any one particular, but I would say, like, anything Amy Winehouse motivates me because, yeah. you know, she kind of came up in a pure way, and she wasn't one of these auto-tune artists. She was, like, a true yeah. artist, sort of like Nas, the rapper yeah. Nas. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not a guy that'll just put something out because, you know, it's trendy to put something out, and right. it's, like, half-assed work. Like Michael Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. he dude was never satisfied with his work. So uh, anything Amy Winehouse definitely motivates me. Um Helps you up. Def- Oh, my God, in a huge way.
0: Hell, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about... Fearless women. So it's political season, right? Oh and my even though goodness. we're not going to talk about what do we believe and what side is right and all that, even though we already know where we right. stand, <laughs> right? But um, I do want to talk about two women that are running in different markets. And both are actually cities.
1: very inspiring, too. Yes,
0: and that's why I want to talk about them, because there's a woman that just won the Democratic runoff in New York. Right. She's only 28 years old. It's a very heavy Democratic district. So she's a shoo-in for the uh, seat in the Congress that she's going to go for in November. But her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she's 28 years young, and she beat a 10-term Democrat for his seat on Congress to be able to be on the ballot. And I'm not a political expert, so if it so sounds why funky— did you, Why
1: did she decide to run? What was kind of behind it that like inspired her to run?
0: Well, I was watching a lot of her campaign videos, which are so inspiring, by the way. So let's check out one of them so we'll get a little insight. Women like me aren't supposed to run for office. I wasn't born to a wealthy or powerful family. Mother from Puerto Rico, dad from the South Bronx. I was born in a place where your zip code determines your destiny. My name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm an educator. An organizer. A working class New Yorker. So, Ty, to answer your question, she's literally the girl next door that was tired of the bureaucracy. She was tired of the system. And she just decided to run. And she comes with experience because she actually used to work for Ted Kennedy, too. Okay. I think she was trying to get things done in her neighborhood. And she couldn't find the congressman because he didn't live there. He lived in Virginia for, like, the last 10 years. Oh, my goodness. And their district is Queens and the Bronx. And he couldn't relate. He had no idea what the problems were. He had no idea, you know, what the community looks like. His kids don't go to school there. They don't drink the water there. Like, he's clueless. And she's in there, you know, elbows deep doing grassroots work and activism. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to run because I actually represent this this market, this area. You know, and these
1: are the people like the constituents are like my people, like yes. literally like I know these people. I understand their struggles. I get it. You right. Know? And,
0: and she is very against like corporate funding. So the guy she was running against had already raised like hundreds of thousands of dollars to get ads and all that stuff. She went around literally shaking hands and kissing babies
1: door to door. Yeah.
0: And that grassroots campaign is what got her the Democratic nomination. So she's going to be on the ballot come November. Like nobody even knew who she was until she won, and when she won, it was like the biggest shock, uh, and like it
1: shook up the political world. Right, and that's kind of the funny thing, you know, about politics now is it's not really so much. I think we're getting to a place where we're not we're not really looking. Do you like, regardless of what kind of uh, party commercial it is, you see that mm-hmm. stuff on TV? Do you get tuned in, or do you find like you're turned off by it?
0: It depends on the commercial.
1: I would say in her case, like just being door to door, like I would be more likely to vote for somebody that I had met door to door that had really like lived in my city and understood mm-hmm. the problems of my city. So that way they could take that back to Congress or wherever they were going right. and be able to help us like solve these problems that we're facing every day in our communities. 100%.
0: I'll give you a perfect example of that. Um, we live in Las Vegas. And remember right after the one October shooting, yeah. um, our city was obviously, you know, traumatized. And we were doing a fundraiser where all of the radio DJs from the city got to together to raise money, which is not something common, because we were, like, with our competitors, you know, at this event trying to raise money for one October victims. And uh, we had a guy come in that was running for Congress.
1: Oh, wow. And he
0: was young, and he came in. Shout out to Ruben Da Silva. Hey, Ruben. um, And he came in, and he shook everyone's hand, and he spoke to everyone, and he passed out a card. And I had never seen a politician or a political candidate, like, attend an event. You know, like, radio DJs, like, usually, like, they kind of, like, look, they, shy away they, they, they i think they they're look afraid down on us you know what i mean or right. too much but like he was there
1: right and he actually cares about what's going on because he took the time to come out you right. know and i think that that kind of stuff is important and i think going forward it would be like more inspiring to see these politicians not have these super packs and things like that behind them because really then you're gonna see the true substance and character i mean anybody that knocks on doors especially a female yes. in this day and age you know what i mean like mm-hmm. She's really invested and in Elbows Deep in the community service. I think it's just amazing to go door to door.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you watch her political ads, it's very moving because it's very unlike anything that you've ever seen. Just like this next woman I want to talk about, these fearless women. I love it. Her name is MJ Hagar, and she's running in Texas. Okay. And she has this campaign called Doors. And in the video, it starts when she's a little girl playing with, like, an airplane because she was in the Air Force. And she's right. And a pilot. Um, And it goes all the way to where she's at now, and it's called "Doors" because it talks about all the doors that closed on her, but how she opened them. And it's like so inspiring to watch that commercial. It's literal goosebumps.
1: Right, right, right. What would you think? I thought it was great because, quite honestly, you know, the reason she was inspired was because, you know, everything that she had ever tried to do, she overcame it. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, like you and I, like we look at our lives every day and we see things that happen. Oh, no, you can't do this because of this. Mm -hmm. Well, if the door is open and crack, why not try and sneak under it? And that's exactly what she did.
0: Right, because she like sued the government. And she's the reason that women can fight in combat right now because she had dreamed of being a pilot. She was serving overseas. And she was, I think she won a Purple Heart, too. Yeah, like, she yeah. did.
1: Yeah, yeah, she did.
0: And um—and she went to talk to her local congressman about... This is the worst. Yeah, about women being able to serve in combat because she was really, you know, mm-hmm. she was through the government. She was looking for help. So what do you do when you're trying to do something political? You get with politicians. Right, exactly. They told her she didn't, wasn't a big donor. And because she wasn't a major donor, he would not meet with her.
2: Hold on. Back up a minute. Not one of his donors? That's not mm. how this is supposed to work. One of those closed doors was my congressman, Tea Party Republican John Carter. Apparently, being his constituent and a veteran wasn't enough to get a meeting. I guess I also needed to be a donor. So now I'm running against him, taking on a system that cares more about campaign donors and political parties than protecting our country. Congressman Carter hasn't had a tough race his entire career. So we'll show him tough, then we'll show him the door, Isn't
0: that so
1: good? I love her ad. But
0: how crazy is that? That he wouldn't meet with her.
1: Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, I'm a Purple
0: Heart veteran.
1: Right, exactly. You would think just for that reason alone, he would want to hear what she had to say. You
0: know, and he didn't. So she was like, you know what? That door closed, but I'm going to open my own. And now she's running.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, something like that. I mean, all she really has to do is expose that kind of stuff, you know? Because now Mm -hmm. we live in the day and age of everybody's got a cell phone and a camera. You know, I think, you know, for her to have the conviction to run a campaign Mm -hmm. based on all these doors closing, that's somebody that deserves a vote, you know, quite honestly.
0: Seriously, absolutely.
1: And a lot of people are really kind of liking her, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she's getting buzzed because a lot of people are calling her political ad one of the best ads of all time. Right. Another fearless female that we love, Rihanna. But
1: of course.
0: Yes, and you know, her new Fenty line is very, very popular. And this summer, she's got all these new releases, but she's doing something really funny. Have you ever heard of the saying? I mean, we all have heard the saying, you take your weakness and you turn it into a strength. Right. Well, she took her Twitter clapbacks and turned them into beauty products. (laughs) And isn't that great,
1: though? I mean, really, truly. I mean, because I think, you know, we've talked about Rihanna before and how Mm -hmm. beautiful she is anyway. Yeah. I love some of the new names that she's got for some of these products.
0: Yes, because, like, it's things that trolls have called her on social media so she took those names and turned them into bronzer. Like, there's a bronzer literally called Ashy. Oh, my God.
1: And <laughs> she going to make money off it, and you're going to wear it?
0: Okay. She's got another one called Shook. She's also got shades that are called LOL, PMS because I'm black like I mean it's amazing right
1: exactly what was that one picture they had somebody told her she looked high mm-hmm. that was the PMS right yeah oh, okay I'm pretty sure yeah. yeah when she responded you know they were asking her was she pMSing and so now that is now a makeup product that you can wear
0: right I love it because she turned what people are saying that's negative about her and now she's making money off of it and turned it into kind of like a clapback with their makeup
1: but the best part is she's making money off of it okay. and you know what I mean <laughs> you try to like slam her down and then of course she moneyed up on you. So She sure
0: did. She got my money. (laughs) I love it. And I
1: mean she's such a classy person anyway. Like you know when these people heckle her. Mm -hmm. Did you see some of her clapbacks on some of those tweets?
0: Oh she's amazing on the gram and on Twitter. I love it.
1: Yeah I mean I just love how she doesn't like really lose her cool. You never see her like cards. You know what I mean? I can
0: just imagine her like sitting at home with a glass of wine and smoking and just, you know, clapping back on She's just kind of like, what calmly, whatever. Nonchalantly, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: like, she's always got something, like, snarky to say. Yes. But it's like, you know, you've never seen her use vulgarity or, like, I've never seen her resort to, like, insulting like someone back. Humor. yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, big ups to Rihanna.
0: I love some snarky humor. Um, in other beauty news, Mac just dropped their Aaliyah line. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Did you
1: see the lip gloss? I, I was telling you did. about that as soon as they came in. I was like, "Dang, that's going to be like really, really, really good."
0: Yes, the collection has bronzers, glosses, um, blushes, shadows, and some of the products are already selling out.
1: Isn't that amazing? And her family's behind it too, so you can feel right. good about buying it.
0: Well, the crazy thing is, the fans did it. Right? Because remember the Selena for MAC? That was because the fans created a petition for MAC to do it because MAC is known for their celebrity-endorsed products or whatever. Certainly, right? right. And they did the same thing for Aliyah, And it took like a few years, but it's finally here. I
1: didn't realize that uh, Selena had a MAC line.
0: Yeah, yeah. It that like a amazing. Year, like last year, I think. Was it yeah. pretty
1: like, uh, what, I mean, what is? Uh, what are the prices typically on those kind of like celebrity well, packs? The same.
0: Like it costs the same whether it's a, a celebrity-sponsored product or not. But like a gloss could be like anywhere from like maybe like Thirteen to twenty bucks, depending on. Which but kind Mac of gloss. is
1: like the best. I mean, yes. right? Okay. Yeah, I, right. Love, I love all their
0: products. I don't. So. I
1: don't wear any of their products, unfortunately. <laughs> Unless, of course, they've got some moisturizer. I would always be down for Mac moisturizer. They do. <laughs> oh, they do. Yes. Well, I'm they in there. Okay. i They do. Yeah.
0: No, I've been using the same Mac foundation for legit twenty years. Like wow. the same shade, same product. Yeah.
1: You know, and I didn't even really think about Aaliyah using Mac products. But if you think around or like back around, to that yeah. time, it was it was truly around. I just don't think that it was is big like now because, you know, you have faces like Jennifer Lopez and RuPaul, Mm -hmm. and I think everybody's done a MAC campaign. You know, did you see the one with Pamela Anderson, her campaign? No. It was beautiful. Like, she looked really great, and I think she gave all the proceeds to, like, PETA, so... I love when they kick that back, and I think Mm -hmm. Rihanna did that on one of her earlier uh, MAC campaigns as well. Yeah, Nicki
0: Minaj and Ariana Grande, because every year MAC does a collection with a celebrity and they donate money to, like, AIDS and HIV research. Right, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I'm glad to see that um, not only does Rihanna have something, but they're... Honoring the late Leah who was just an iconic legend to begin with anyway. So
0: yeah. go out there
1: and get it. You okay. need to wear it.
0: Okay. Speaking of going out there and getting it, did you see that video of Dame Dash running up on Lee Daniels?
1: Well, here's the thing. I kind of liked how he handled it, okay? Because here's the thing with Dame Dash. He used to be rich. He's not rich anymore. Yo, $2 million would go a long damn way.
0: Wait, listen. I looked up his net worth before when I was getting ready to do this story. And if you know, Damon Dash was a co-founder of Rockefeller Records right. with Jay-Z. you know. And,
1: and they kind of had a falling out.
0: Right. So when I was doing research, it said he's actually worth negative $2 million. Right. He needs that $2 million he bones back eyes. right now. So let's give them the background. Back in the day when Lee Daniels wanted to be a director, Damon Dash wanted to support him. So, Lee Daniels needed money to make a movie, and Dame gave him $2 million. Okay. Now, I don't know what kind of contracts or whatever was signed, but basically, Lee Daniels took the money, made the movie, it flopped, but then he made Precious. Okay. And when he made Precious, that he was made an Oscar-winning movie, right? right? So, then that's when he, his career blew up, and then he did The Butler, and now he has shows on, like, he's got Empire on Fox, and he does stuff with Oprah, and... You know,
1: so why are you not gonna give the man the the two million milli back? Well, that's
0: the interesting part of it. He kind of like took off and his career exploded, and he kind of left Damon the dust. I forgot
1: about the small people that helped him to get to where he's at right now.
0: Right. So a few weeks ago, there I, I'm pretty sure it was at the MTV Movie Awards. Okay. Um, Lee Daniels was there, and so was Damon Dash. So Damon Dash ran up on him, asking him about the money. Like, bro, you forgot about me. You don't return my calls. You know, and it it's very like aggressive. Right. Like in his face. But it's two million dollars. Wouldn't
1: you be pissed off about two million? I'd be mad as hell about two hundred dollars. I'd be
0: mad about two dollars. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Run me my um, money.
0: But you know he doesn't get like violent or anything like that And, and he's not like yeah, but he's you not could like being tell. Like, F you, he's like, give me my money. Like, where'd my money go? What? Right. And yeah.
1: it, here's the thing: if you if you've seen the video, I I mean, you, listen, over two million dollars, I would be fucking ballistic. Yes, ballistic.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and you know, and Dame's lost a lot of money lately, so it definitely would help him. But I do think it was very fearless of him to run up on Lee Daniels like that and sure. then post it and have somebody record it. And now Lee Daniels went on the record saying he's going to cut a check.
2: This black man gave me money with no, nobody, not Disney, not Sony, not TriStar, not, not Paramount, not Warner Brothers, for a film. He did it. And so for that, you know, he deserves his money. And so I'm going to work out something for him to get
1: him, because I am in the, in the position now to get it to him. So I'm going to get it to him. Because I think that that's the right thing to do. Well, good. And that's the right thing to do. And if you owe somebody some money, give them their damn money back,
0: Especially if you get rich.
1: I'm begging you.
0: I know. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about our fearless artist, Kanye West, who you know we have mixed feelings about. On one hand, I love his music. I love him as an artist. On another hand, he's an idiot who keeps saying dumb shit. So, where are we on his album releases this summer? He did Daytona from Pusha T. Yay. Kid See Ghost, which was his compilation album with Kid Cudi, Nazir, and Tiana Taylor.
1: Right. So, um, how are you feeling about the Pusha T album? I
0: love it. I think okay. it's a classic. I now, like are, it you still
1: bothered? are you still bothered by the graphic?
0: The Whitney Houston graphic? Yeah, that was some bullshit. Like, okay. putting the Whitney Houston picture on there. You know, but after listening to the album... Uh, I guess I could see the connection. I
1: think it's good. Wouldn't
0: have been my first
1: choice. I I, I think his music is good, but yeah. I'm kind of put off, like mentally, knowing that that you know. I mean, this was an icon who was struggling and at her yeah. lowest. And to use that for publicity, that kind of hurts. Now, had I not seen the picture first, I would probably be more open to the music because it is good. Right. It is very good.
0: Pun intended. Right. <laughs> good so, music. Yeah. Um, with well, that
1: being said, though, I mean, you know, there's some things like as an artist, like, you know, I'm kind of turned off to Kanye right now. because no, the,
0: I, I it's a very bittersweet relationship I have with him right, right now. Like, I just started listening to Ye this week because I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I was so mad at him. Yeah, like I was like, come on, because I've been a Kanye fan since day one. Like, remember um, the MTV shows, the two dollar bill shows, right? I used to go around the country and do like a show for two dollars. Yeah, like I saw Kanye at the two dollar bill show. You saw him at the two dollar bill show. Yes, like, wow. like so, I'm a day one. Okay. And it really bothered me how his statements were coming off so ignorant. But after listening to the album and listening to See Ghosts, which is the one with Kid Cudi, which is so amazing, and Nas, I understand where he's coming from a little bit better. Right. And I think I can put, like, his statements to the side to at least give the music a chance. Right. I'm not saying it's going to be a heavy rotation. No, 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 But at least I wanted to give it an honest listen because I think sometimes you can have an opinion but you still need to be open-minded to hear the other side. Certainly.
1: Yeah. Certainly. It can't be a one-way street, especially when you're a celebrity because you're not above reproach. I mean, you've got the media coming for you. You've got fans coming for you Mm -hmm. and other musicians. So, I mean, really, truly... I think Kanye, I, I, quite honestly, I'm impressed by Kanye's musical abilities because mm-hmm. we don't really see artists a lot like Kanye West coming out, you know, producing, singing, rapping, rapping yeah. you know, and, like, a lot of people forget about uh, Kanye West, but do you remember the new workout plan?
0: Yes, that was my jam. Okay. One,
1: two, Did you see okay. the video? Did you yes, see yes. Anna Nicole With was Fonsworth, the Bentley? ultimate <laughs> trophy wife? And what what was uh, amazing to me about that was mm-hmm. here's somebody that weighed a lot of pounds mm-hmm. and she lost the weight mm-hmm. kanye said hey let's you know kind of like show the world
0: well even tracy ellis ross before anybody really knew who she was when she was starting out her career she was in the video touch the sky right she with was kanye like west the vixen in touch the sky which was different because at that time all the video vixens were like the big booty big boobies you know totally different right. type of woman and you have this actress who looks exotic, right? I don't know how else to describe Tracy Yeah, She's, Tracy she's L- exotic, R- yeah. Like, she's beautiful, but she she has a different look, look to, to her. To her right. You know, not your traditional video vixen or whatever. Right, right So right. I thought that was pretty dope.
1: Yeah, Kanye West, I mean, the dude is a genius. I mean, I don't like the things that come out of his mouth. I don't like the fact yeah. that he's doubled down on some of the stuff that right? I really didn't like. But, I mean, the music is good. I mean, Kanye is brilliant.
0: Yeah, it's Kanye. Um, How about the Carter's album, Everything is Love, Beyonce, Jay-Z?
1: I can't get into it. I'll be honest with you, I'm not feeling and it I'm
0: trying. yeah, and I, I
1: wanted to like the album and be excited about it, but i'm just I can't get into it
0: to me, it felt a little rushed, it felt a little forced because. I think that uh, from what they've been reporting, their tour sales were slumping a little bit, and they kind of needed a you know something step to it push up. it, yeah yeah, so that's why they put out the album so that they can do new songs and new choreography and whatnot. But when I listen to it, there are some songs that I love, like the summer song I love it, and I love that it's like an album for lovers
1: right, and I think also you know the fact that they you know put so much of their passion, you know obviously they're very passionate about <laughs> yeah. each other, mm-hmm. but I did feel like this probably wasn't their best effort, you right. know yeah, so but, they get. Yeah. C. They yeah. get a C for the whole album.
0: I'm a member of the Beehive, so I got to give them a B minus. You're
1: gonna give them behind okay? But,
0: well. but Lemonade was like an A plus plus. Yes, it oh. was like an extra credit, right? Of course.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, you know, like just and both, you know, again, Beyonce, amazing uh, performer, amazing right. artist. But this was a rush job.
0: Because Lemonade was so. Well done. That right. this didn't seem as it cohesive. It didn't hit the same
1: mark. No. It didn't hit the same mark as Lemonade.
0: You know what did hit the mark, though? That Drake double album, Scorpion. Aye. It's so good.
1: Yes. And he's had all kinds of stuff going on, too, lately. He
0: confirmed he has a baby. Yep. And he talks about how he just met his mom twice. He only met the, the baby mom two times. And he gets honest talking about his struggles of being a dad with a person he hardly knows. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah,
1: but, you know, the good thing about Drake is, you know, like for being a guy that's maybe not as involved as he should... He is handling business on the financial front, from what I've read. So.
0: Yes, and he, he's taking, again, he's taking what people used against him, because, you know, Pusha T in the song Son of Adonis or whatever. Right. He's taking and that, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to own my them. shit, and I got you, and this is what's going on, and now there's no questions. Right, exactly. Is what it is. But what about that Michael Jackson feature? Can you believe it? That
1: kind of had me shook a little bit.
0: I got goosebumps. Yeah. I, I couldn't mean, believe
1: it. The fact that he would even think to do that mm-hmm. to me is what sets Drake apart. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he's constantly thinking, and he's another one, you know, he's kind of on that Kanye level, like, mm-hmm. you know, that whole creativity that they've got working inside of their heads. I've, you know, I. I It's hard for me to ever find something that comes from Drake that I don't like. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I I like the fact that, you know, like, he's being a good dad. He's putting it all out there and not letting, you know, the shade that Pusha T was throwing at him, like, really get in his way.
0: And there's nothing on the album that overshadows the art in that, like, he throws shots at different people, but... It's still a cohesive project. Like right. The A side is more hip hop. The B side is for the ladies because it's him all in his feelings and every <laughs> single song talking about women. Right. And it's like you know, it's that song that like if you're going through a breakup, you want to cry, or if you're in love, you want to listen to it and for get inspired. For sure. For you know, sure. It can go either way. And he's got features from Jay Z, Ty Dolla Sign, Nicki Minaj. So it's pretty dope.
1: Yeah, it's a great. Listen.
0: And Tyler, I'm so excited for this next part. It's about that time to introduce this episode's girl power playa, sexologist, Dr. T. But before we get to her, can you give us some tips to stay fearless during the summer? What are your top five tips?
1: A fearless summer goes like this every week. Set aside like forty bucks. Okay, go get your nails done because okay. you always feel good about yourself when you've got a manicure. And you Absolutely. know, if we got the guys listening, you can go in there and get a manicure. Yes, you it, can. It's not going to be bad get for you. Get your feet done, right? Get your toes done because yeah. you're going to feel really good. Um, eat right. Get out and exercise. You know, like we always talk about in the winter. Oh, I'm so tired because yeah. you know sun goes down all early. Get out there. Like, get active. If you got kids, get those guys outside. Get them in the water. Splash Mm -hmm. around in the pool. Go to the lake. Yeah. Barbecue. Those are my tips for a fabulous (laughs) summer this summer.
0: Live your best life. That's
1: right. Every single day. Love
0: it. Thank you so much, Tyler. Now it's time to introduce our girl power player, Dr. Tamara Griffin. Thanks so much for being here. Sex therapist, sexologist. We're so excited that you're here. And ladies, if you got little ones in the room, now might be the time to put some headphones on them, get them that iPad and go in the other room because we are about to talk sex. Ask all those super awkward questions. Learn about the nine different kinds of orgasms. Yes, there are nine. And uh, Dr. T is here to explain it all to us. You are a sex sexologist, a sex therapist, Dr. Tamara Griffin. You're this episode's
2: Girl Power Player and
0: welcome to the Girl Power Hour.
2: First of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to, to have a chat with you about, you know, who I am and what I do. So yeah, I'm Dr. Tamara. A lot of people, like you said, call me Dr. T. Um, Gosh, I've been in this field. I was thinking about it a couple of days ago. I've been in this field like almost 30 years. That's a lot of sex. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know what? And there's nothing else in this world that I love more than, you know, doing and talking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so yeah i kind of just gradually shifted into the field like it's something that's very natural for me you know from the time i was 13 i knew i wanted to be a sex therapist really yes what made you like want to do that well, I guess, you know, being a, a young girl growing up, just having a natural curiosity. Like, I've always been curious about love, relationships, and romance, and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, as a little kid, like, why people like certain things and other people don't like certain things. And just seeing the intimacy between, you know, my mother and my father. Just really just having a, an affection for um, just love and relationships. And so then also... Um, you know growing up my my house was the house all my little girlfriends came to you know for pajama parties mm-hmm. sleepovers everything like that and it we were always fun ta- house yeah the fun <laughs> house <laughs> <laughs> the cool parents yeah and so we used to always talk about you know our little boyfriends and so on and so forth and my mom would come in and she would talk to us about you know sexuality you know and what it was and and you know the um not just the physical aspects about it but the emotional aspects about it and so i you just think i would think to myself well you know if my Girlfriends don't have any other place to go to. They can't talk to their parents, their sisters, brothers, cousins, and uncles, and so on and so forth. Like, how many other girls are in the same space? Mm-hmm. You know, and so from that moment, like I said, at a very early age, I, I decided that I want to be that safe space. Yeah. You know? And it's important. Um, I was watching Red Table Talk. Have you seen that with
0: Jada Pinkett? Yes. And she was talking about how when she was nine, her grandmother was teaching her about sex and masturbation and stuff. Mm-hmm. My grandmother
2: taught me about self-pleasuring, because she wanted me to know that that pleasure was from me. Exactly. She didn't want me to fall into Mm. the hands of a man, and if he gave me pleasure, to think that
0: that was him. And she taught me at nine. It sounds crazy that at nine years old, her grandmother was teaching her this, but then I talked to my friends about it, and we were all kind of like, not sure if that's appropriate or not, but at the same time, on the flip side of that, Mm -hmm. if you don't get educated on your body, then you might come up short because I actually watched one of your speeches, one of your talks on your website, and you said that when you when you talk to your lady friend, is that like your best friend, or is it somebody you treat like a stranger right right Absolutely. so when you're talking about your vagina, like how do you treat your vagina and that's something that you don 't really think about, and it's so
2: taboo yeah i'm a huge like proponent of being intimately acquainted with your body because it's your body. Mm-hmm. You only get one. It's not like you can trade it in. You know, there's yeah. no refund on your body. Right. You know, so you have to treat it and respect it as you would want other people to treat it and respect it. But then you also have to know what provides you pleasure. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what provides you pleasure, then how can you talk to anybody else about providing you pleasure? And then just on a very basic level, you have to touch yourself in order to clean yourself. Right. You know, so when we think about sexuality, we always think about intercourse, right? We never think about the fact that, um, you know, our reproductive health, hygiene, Mm -hmm. basic things like that are a part of things that we should be taught. Like, there's no reason why a a fourth grader, you know, was that 9- or 10-year-old girl should be sitting in class and get her period and not know what the heck is going on and think that she's dying. Right. You know, and that happens so many times. Yeah, all the time. I remember you know? back in the
0: day, like when I was in school, that would happen. You know, in middle yeah. school, and and some girls really they had no idea. Like they, and that's before the internet, right? Right, I, right. I'm old.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> before social media, but no, for real. Yeah. Like they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So okay, you were 13. You knew you wanted to be a sexologist. So how did you kind of get into the field, and what type of like education and mm-hmm. things like that? How was your journey?
2: So at 13, we used to have a, a peer educator group in. Um, in Flint, Michigan where I'm from. Okay. And I think it was run by Planned Parenthood, so initially I just kind of joined that group, you know, and I started reading books about reproduction. And it was so funny because now I'm about to tell my age. <laughs> <laughs> the first my first introduction to my menstrual cycle was around the age of probably I don't know, maybe six or seven. My mother brought in this purple number 15 child craft book. I don't know if you know what those are, but they were like encyclopedias for kids, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so she brought that in, and it was all about the reproductive system in our bodies. And so, you know, I would often go get that book and read it, mm-hmm. um, and then I started getting exposed to other things. Like I said, the Planned Parenthood program that taught us how to be peer ed- educators. So we would go to high schools and talk about, you know, sex. And even, I remember being in elementary school when we used to have um what do you call those people, like special people who would come and talk to us about our body. I mean, so I used to just tap into all these different resources. And so from there, um, I went to um, get my bachelor's in family life education. Um, And then I went on to get my uh, degree in education and then social work. And then finally... Um, years later, because I always wanted to have a doctorate in human sexuality, so finally I went and got my doctorate and my PhD in human sexuality. So I've been in school forever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it because I love, I love, love, love what I do. I'm so blessed to be able to do it. Absolutely. And throughout your journey, it was a long, I mean, a long road, right, from mm-hmm. your bachelor
0: to PhD. What type of challenges did you? Uh, you know, experience, or did anybody kind of look at you and be like, a sexologist, like, how did you, you know, deal with, because I can imagine mm-hmm. when you tell people, especially because it's such a taboo subject, like, ooh, mm-hmm. girl, that's what you want to do for real? Like, how did you, you know, say yeah. yes, like, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm into?
2: Yeah, you know, I was... It kind of varies depending on, I guess, who I'm talking to. But like Mm -hmm. when I told my mom at 13, she was like, okay, now what does that mean for you? Because she's a therapist, right? So that's where I got the word therapy, and we were talking about sex, so I just kind of put the two together. I never really, even at 13, knew that there was a term called sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And so um, she would embrace that. My dad, on the other hand, he didn't really say much, but I guess he kind of got it because my mother was in the field of HIV, too. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of probably figured out, like, that's where she got it from, whatever, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I got older... It's interesting because, like, people who know me now, I mean, people who I knew back when I was in high school and whatever that I've come across now on social media, so- social media, they're like, I'm not surprised because right. you were that chick. You right. know, you were her. I could see you doing that. And then you have people on the other spectrum like, oh, oh my God, like they're clutching their pearls and gasping. Like, how dare you talk about sex? And I'm like, how dare I not talk about something that can save your life? Right. You know, and so that's kind of the standpoint I take. And I love when people challenge me because it gives me an opportunity to educate them, you know, to explain to them what I am am in terms of a sexologist and what I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also there's people like, oh, my God, you must be the biggest freak. And I'm like, well, what's a freak? Right. Because what may be. Freaky to somebody else may not be freaky to that person, but I mean, I just think what people do to bring themselves pleasure is just what they do to bring themselves pleasure.
0: And I know it's hard, like, because even for me, like, coming up and wanting to be a radio DJ, like, my family didn't understand what it was. They thought that was like a feel that's, I'm never going to make it. It's too hard. You're never going to make money and stuff like that. So I know when you have a passion mm-hmm. and you know, like in your heart, you knew
2: this is yes. what you wanted to do and you just kept pushing. Don't worry about the haters. Absolutely. And you know, sexology, um, it is a tough field because people don't know what it is and what you really do. Like there's no job posting that says hiring sexologists, Right. So the thing about it for me and what I've learned over the years, you kind of have to create yourself, mm-hmm. create a path for yourself, whether that's, you know, through writing, through speaking, um, through, you know, being a therapist and actually sit in a room providing counseling, mm-hmm. or whether it's through, um, you know, working at an organization like the center who ha- has, you know, services for HIV and sexual, and sexual health. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you really have to kind of carve your own niche out in this field because it's nothing that's specifically for a sexologist. Right, you made
0: your own lane. Yes. Absolutely. And you don't just work at the center because you're also a published author. Yes.
2: You're also a speaker. So how did you get into those um, fields? You know, um, I've always written. Been a writer. Mm-hmm. ever since I was little, I remember like because I, I used to want to be a um, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> as, as a kid, <laughs> kid, I wanted to be a singer. I uh-huh. used to love to sing, so I would write songs and what I thought was songs and little poetry, you know, all the time, from, like really when I was a kid. And so I guess that just naturally progressed into poetry. And so my very first two books were erotic poetry books. I really didn't publish them; they were just more something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I put my thoughts on paper and published them. And so um, over the years, you know, I started writing with articles and things like that. And people would say, you know what, you're good. You need to do like an advice column. And so that kind of transcended from an advice column into actually writing the, with the self-transformation books. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't like to, I don't say self-help because people just have a, aversion to self-help. So I like to call them self-transformation books. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so then the speaking thing just came um, just, again, it's interesting because people don't really, really know that I'm a shy person. Like Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Listen, (laughs) I'm not the chick that comes into the room like, hey, here I am, you know, talk to me or, you know, coming in a room telling people what I do and who I am. I'm the chick. I come in and I sit down. You know, I see what's going on. And if you come and talk to me, Mm -hmm. I'll talk to you. But I'll answer your questions. I'm not going to, like, engage in conversations because I'm just shy like that. And it's so interesting because people say, but you're on stage. When I hit the stage, it's a completely different thing. Right. I'm super nervous all up until that moment. I get on stage and the first word that comes out of my mouth, then it's like, here I am. I'm going to do what I came to do. And so, yeah, I guess the speaking probably came from when I first started back in Planned Parenthood and just continuing to evolve.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if somebody's listening and they have a career, maybe they're like, hmm, I can, you know, make my own lane too. What advice would you have for somebody that maybe's thinking about speaking or thinking about writing or thinking about starting a career
2: or creating a lane for mm-hmm. themselves, which isn't necessarily the norm? You, exactly. You have to do it. Just do it. Even if it's one step at a time, even if it gets difficult, even if it gets challenging. Just to go ahead and try to do it, push through whatever aversions you have, whatever fears you have, and just you know maybe try to find a mentor mm-hmm. um, to help you guide, guide you through the process, research, research, research so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and what you want to get into, and just really never let anybody hold you back because your gift is your gift. Your Mm -hmm. passion is your passion. You know, people will not always understand our gift and our passion because it's ours. Mm -hmm. We can do our best to try to explain it to other people, but they may not get it, but you can't let that stop you. Right, and I'm so glad that you bring up fear because this is the Fearless
0: Summer edition Mm -hmm. of our podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about fear, and what scares you? Has anything scared you, um, or do you have any fears? how do you overcome them? I am
2: so afraid of bugs. Bugs? <laughs> oh, no. Like, especially like roaches and spiders and stuff like that. If mm-hmm. I see one, I am, listen, I've almost got into crashes trying to swat away a bee from me or something like oh, that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, but more specifically related to my um, career, um I'm always afraid to step on stage. Like, my stomach turns in knots. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to say? And it's always crazy because I think I prepare what I'm going to say, and I get on stage and it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, where did that come from? And then I'm like, well, that was supposed to happen. Right. So, But I think sometimes that fear of just stepping out on stage and what are people going to think, you know, are they going to receive me the way that I'm trying to give them the message? Right,
0: absolutely. And I can relate because I know, like, in radio, you know, we host concerts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And right before we go on stage at an arena, like, my butterflies are Uh just going. But the minute you do hit the stage, it's like something takes over. It's like the Holy Ghost takes over and you just go. Like, I don't even know what happens. And then I get off and they're like, oh, that was great. And I'm like, I don't even know what I said. Exactly. Because it's just... I guess it's a gift, right? A g- yeah, it's yes, like your gift takes over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What advice would you have for anybody that is experiencing fear? Like I know we say okay, just go, mm-hmm. but it's so hard to do that. So what like day-to-day tips would you have?
2: Um, I would say meditate mm-hmm. and if you're a spiritual person, you know, tap into your faith and pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say um, like I said, get, uh, seek the advice of a mentor. Mm-hmm. And literally, if you have to take it day by day, take it day by day. If you need to break it down and take it moment by moment, take it moment by moment. And also, just realize that you're not going to get to your end result immediately. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: From 13, I knew I wanted to be a sex therapist and I wanted to have a doctorate degree in in human sexuality. I didn't achieve that until almost 20-plus years later. Mm-hmm. So right. it's not going to happen overnight. You have to be prepared. So. In other words, get yourself prepared and whatever that looks like for you. Um, make short term goals and celebrate the su- successes along the way. Because had I waited mm-hmm. to celebrate till, until I became, you know, Dr. Tamara, I would've, it would have been 20 plus years. Right. You know, but I celebrated myself along the way. Um, and it's not easy, but mm-hmm. don't get defeated. You know, if you, um, one thing that I've learned to do as well is if you experience a failure, mm-hmm. you know, or something that doesn't make you happy or feel good to you, honor that don't ignore it Mm -hmm. but honor that but also don't sit in and say okay you know what i'm gonna give myself a day to grieve this whole situation grieve this disappointment and then i'm gonna get back out there on the grind the next day
0: sometimes failures can lead to your biggest successes yes because like i'll tell you like i've had it happen time and time again in my career where i feel like a failure and i'm like oh my god i just made the worst mistake ever like for example i live in las vegas now And I was living in South Florida. I was working in radio in Miami, and I got an opportunity to move out here. And I moved my whole family, right? Kids, dog, in-laws, everything. Husband, the whole nine. We drove the truck across the country, made the move, took that leap of faith. Well, about a year later, I realized it wasn't the right situation for me, Mm -hmm. and things didn't work out. And then at that time, I was under contract, so I couldn't work at another uh, radio station for a year. Mm -hmm. I had to wait out my contract. So like I just moved my family here. Now I had no job. Now I can't even apply for a job for 12 months and my my older kids were in high school. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I can't move them in high school. Right. Like I promised them once we moved to Las Vegas that was it. They would, you know, graduate high school cuz you know being in radio it's kind of like the military. Like mm-hmm. you move from market to market. So mm-hmm. they're used to living in different cities and stuff like that throughout their childhood, but I promised in high school I'm not going to move you. Um but little did I know how the universe works, right? Mm-hmm. It was like I had to go through that year. And then I was fortunate to get the job that I have now. Mm -hmm. And even that job started off as a part-time job and evolved into the job that I have now – which is the perfect station, the perfect music. You know, like, Mm -hmm. this is where I was supposed to be. And I think this is where the universe was pushing me. But I had to go through all those challenges Mm -hmm. and all that crazy stuff first. And let me tell you, I thought I was dead in the water. Mm -hmm. Like, I was on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I was trying to meditate, but I don't think I was really, like, even, you know, you have to let go and let God. I didn't really let go. Like, I was still like sitting in it Mm -hmm. instead of trying to look at the future and i think if i could rewind the tape and like do it over i would have told myself stop beating yourself up because i literally beat myself up for a year and be like just enjoy it Mm -hmm. like you have a year off Mm -hmm. travel Mm -hmm. spend time with the family Mm -hmm. you know cook those dinners you never had time to cook before like i wasn't in that type of mindset at that time um and and now i get it and
2: now i see and sometimes i think failure will lead you to your biggest successes I agree, too, yeah. because I have a similar story in that when I moved to L.A., I moved to L.A. with my ex-husband. He was in military, mm-hmm. and so um, I had got a job at this wonderful organization, um, or at least I thought it was wonderful at the time, but for whatever reason, the person who was my immediate supervisor, she just did not like me. mm mm-hmm. But what I come to find out later is that she was in the midst of a whole bunch of stuff herself. And so that stuff that she was trying to unpack Mm -hmm. or not or not unpack and deal with at the time um, played itself out in the workplace. And I was the person that got impacted. Yes. But like you said. It was during that time that I really started to hone in on my skills, Mm -hmm. my writing, my speaking and things like that. And so, you know, but like you said, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? And, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband was at the time, he was like, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. And he wasn't as supportive. And so here I am with that piece. and You know, feeling myself like, oh, my gosh, feeling worthless. Like, Mm -hmm. how did this happen to me? But in the end, it beca- like you said. It became one of my biggest, biggest blessings, and that's where I really first started doing my sex education workshops mm-hmm. in L.A. Like, and this was in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of your sex education <laughs> workshops, that's a great segue, Dr. <laughs> T.
0: Tell us about your workshops because I know I was looking at your calendar, your events, and the type of classes that you do, and you really have something for everybody. Yes,
2: yes. So you know, I try to make my classes um, to that create. I try to teach my classes in a way. That create a safe space for women and men to um come and express themselves and get the information that they need in a very non-judgmental way. And so I do classes like the ultimate blowjob class teaching mm-hmm. women, you know, it but see it's not what you think. A lot of people think that I'm just gonna come in there and show you how to suck a dick. Yeah. And that's really not the case. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm talking about the health behind it um your health his health you know and then there's also some tips and some techniques and they don't get me wrong but it would it's so not like what people think it is and they're pleasantly surprised when they come and take the class then i do like the um my pleasures which is all about the different types of orgasms women can experience because a lot of women don't know that there's over nine different orgasms that you can experience Nine? S- nine.
0: Okay, wait. So what are they? <laughs>
2: Hold on. <laughs> okay. Nine so different types? Yes. i never heard that in my life. Yes. The okay. one that we're most familiar with is probably the one that 90% of women will have is a clitoral orgasm because okay. it's direct stimulation. But it's also indirect stimulation because the way the clitoris is, is formed, like you have the external part of the clitoris, right? But then you have wings that go inside mm-hmm. and you can stimulate that when you have a um, vaginal intercourse or with a toy through the vagina. So you have the clitoral orgasm, you have the vaginal orgasm, which is a deeper orgasm. Um, that's inside the vagina, Um, it's not as strong as the clitoral orgasm Mm -hmm. because the clitoris is the only organ in the body designed for pleasure. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's such an intense experience when you have a clitoral orgasm or a clitoral orgasm. So clitoral vagina or vaginal cervical, Mm -hmm. um, then you have anal, then you have what's called an A-spot, then you have a G-spot, then you have full body, and then you have multiple sequential, um, and then... Other one. Oh, it's in my sequential. mind. Sequential, does that mean one after another after another? Uh, yes. And how does that happen? Because there's, <laughs> because there's Long like no, br- there is no um break in the stimulation or what they call the um the, the plateau phase. You just stay in the plateau phase, and the orgasmic phase, longer longer than transcending to the resolution phase. So
0: it's kind of like the karma, like the karma sutra kind of thing. Yes, like, you know Sting. They like everybody used to joke about Sting because he would say him and his wife would have
2: sex for like twelve hours. Mm-hmm. And they would orgasm the whole time, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, "How?" Yes, that kind of like that. Yes, it's like t- it's like tantric sex. Yes. Okay. In Kama Sutra. Because Kama Sutra is more like around the positioning. The okay. tantric sex is more of like the practice. That's, yes, yes, that's what it was, the tantric sex. Yes.
0: And why do you think couples don't know about stuff like this? Like, you know, get, when you get married, uh-huh. right, uh-huh. you worry about buying the house, you worry about doing the wedding planning, you worry about your honeymoon, but you don't really think about
2: getting ready for sex. Because here's the thing, we're not taught that. Right. You know, especially, and even with the churches, I tell them, you know, our other faith organizations, you know, we don't want to talk about sex. I said, well, not talking about sex, you're failing marriages, too. Right. Because you, you have couples in here who need to learn sexual things. Mm-hmm. And then also, that's one thing, but then also when you think about how we were raised and uh, the cultural factors, the, the societal factors, and how women and men are both separately socialized in society, mm-hmm. you know, men are taught to sow their royal oaths. Have as many sex partners. Women are taught to be virginal, pure, and innocent. And if you engage in any sexual activity, like a blowjob, you know, or masturbation, Mm -hmm. um, you're considered you're not considered a good girl, you know, and good girls don't. So when you have these two polar opposite dynamics coming together in a relationship, how do we talk about sex? Right. Yeah, because even whether it's the anatomy or just being able to pleasure yourself,
0: pleasure your partner, what does that feel like? Mm -hmm. How do you do it safely? Like, you're really not, that's not, you know, they teach you how, how not to catch an STD. Right. But what about what, everything that happens before you get to that point?
2: Absolutely. And I think that we do our married couples such a disservice. And that's why you see so many married couples that are unhappy sexually and intimately. Um, because we, they don't know how to have conversations. And then here's the other thing about it, too. Um, as adults, we think we know it all when it comes to sex anyway. Right. So you can't tell me anything. But like I tell folk, what works in one relationship? may not necessarily work in this relationship. You have to learn how to please this partner. You, you can't bring in all your stuff from your last relationship and think it's automatically going to be the best thing because it may not.
0: What about, like, couples? Because I talk to my girlfriends about stuff like this. Couples that are in relationships, and maybe the man wants to try different things, and the woman feels like, ooh, I don't know. Like, I've never done that before. I'm not sure. I, but they, like, kind of want to, but they don't want. They They think if they're down, then he's going to think they're a hoe or something mm-hmm. like that, like. How do you deal with that or what advice would you give?
2: You know, I have a lot of ladies that come um, to my workshops as well as to private sex therapy sessions with that very same challenge. You have to unpack your stuff. What, what is it about this particular act that makes you feel this way? Mm-hmm. And how did you get there? You know, and then realize that, okay, this is for the sake of my relationship and decide whether or not it's something that you're willing to compromise, not sacrifice. But compromise, Mm -hmm. because when you – that's a a big big difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because when you sacrifice yourself, that means you're just completely giving up who you are and everything that you believe. But when you compromise, you're saying, okay, if we do it this way, I start off this way, then I may be able to be okay with it. So you have to learn the art of negotiation and speaking with your partner. Like, okay, you know what, you want to try anal sex. I want to try it, Mm -hmm. but here's where my concerns lie. And you have an open and honest conversation, not during the midst of the act, you know what I'm saying, because that's going to end up in a whole completely different different way. But, you know, you talk to them about about it and say, okay, well, I'm interested in trying it. But maybe we start off with some anal play with a finger or with a toy, and then mm-hmm. we ta- kind of progress and just learn how to get natural, learn how to allow your body to adapt to those different types of sensation. And if it gets uncomfortable, create like some type of a safe word where you both can stop. Mm-hmm. And that way you're kind of trying it. Um, you're not totally giving up who you are and your space that you're in right now, but you're also in some ways satisfying your partner because you're willing to, mm-hmm. in some capacity, do what it is that they are interested in trying to do.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I like that. And how do you break through the taboos of talking about sex? Because I I know for me, being a Latina, Mm -hmm. in the Latino household, nobody wants to talk about sex. It's like everybody's a virgin, even though we have, like, five kids, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, like, how do you break those boundaries, especially when it's culturally taboo in certain communities, and, like, get people talking about it? Because Like, if I was to tell my family right now that I'm interviewing a sexologist, Uh they'd be like, gay? You know, like, they wouldn't even get it. Uh So how do you, how do you, how do we help
2: that? You know, that's, I'm so glad that you bring that up because that's the reason, another one of the main reasons I got into this field for people of color, Mm -hmm. because it is taboo culturally. Yeah. You know, for so many reasons. And so... Um, I felt that if I got into this field, that people of color, particularly women of color, mm-hmm. if they saw another woman of color out here with a platform saying, hey, it's okay to talk about sexuality, who we are as sexual beings, because that's how we, re- we were created and we're going to be that until we die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay for me to have those conversations. And so I think sometimes it really takes unpacking your stuff. Yeah. And I always will go back to that. You have to unpack your sh- stuff yes, yes. <laughs> and figure out, What is it about this particular topic that makes me uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And then figure out a way to work through your discomfort around the topic. And just give yourself permission. Mm -hmm. Because what i found in a lot of cases, many of my women, my ladies that I work with, No one's ever given them permission to say, you know, what? it's okay to be a sexual being. It's okay to embrace your sexuality. It's okay to have these feelings and these emotions and explore them Mm -hmm. to see what you like and what you don't like, you know, and just really um, just tap it into that part of yourself. And if you need to see a sex therapist or if you need to see a sex counselor or work with someone um, to help you get to that point, know that that's okay as well because I know therapy in communities of right. color is like right. oh, oh, therapy. I oh, my no god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and also, you know, research, but make sure you're researching credible websites because there's a whole bunch of junk on the, on, on the Internet right. that, it, that are not credible sites. But, you know, find a credible site and just, you know, start to read and educate because what we learned as kids is what we learned as kids. Right. Give yourself permission as an adult to unpack that stuff and relearn everything it is that you want to learn about uh, learn about life as an adult and recreate your script. We don't have to carry around those scripts that were given to us as children.
0: Right. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because the other day, and I'm totally confessing right now, the other day I was on the phone with one of my friends, and I was like, ooh, uh-uh, that thought, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And my daughter heard me. My daughter's 19. Mm-hmm. And she walks up to me when I was done on the phone. She goes, Mom, you know I love you, and, you know, I really look up to you, and I consider you a feminist, but you're slut-shaming. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, fe- I felt bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, damn, like, it's true, mm-hmm. but, like, that's how I was programmed as yes. a kid. Like, I don't know. Like, so I'm still, even me at almost 40, I'm still trying to, like, reprogram myself mm-hmm. and teach myself, like, you know, that's, that doesn't mean she's a slut just because she might have, you know, she's sexually free or right. whatever, you know. But even as women, sometimes we come down really hard on each other, and it's, but I think culturally now, mm-hmm. especially with, like, Amber Rose and mm-hmm. the Slut Walk and mm-hmm. stuff like that, there's a lot more cultural awareness and a lot more acceptance and openness. When my daughter told me that, I was like, oh, I was proud of her, you
2: mm-hmm. know? that That is so awesome, and I think that it's going to, you know, it's a process as we evolve from, you know, kids to teenagers to young adults to older adults. It's a process of growth, and the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about it is when you realize that moment, you embrace it and say, okay, you know what, now I know I can do something different, differently. But I think you make a very valid point in that women, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we are so hard on other women more so than men yes we are so quick to judge another woman yeah you know and we all do it you know because i I do it too Mm -hmm. you know we're so quick to make judgment on another woman whether it's what she's wearing Mm -hmm. whether it's you know she's you know being sexually free like she
0: always look like a thought why kim kardashian always naked on instagram
2: she's such a hoe because that's what she wants to do is her body she wants to celebrate it and honor it you know Mm -hmm. and it's but we but we do that and i think when we do that We, I don't want to say we set society back, but I think we create more challenges, you know, in society in terms of creating a safe space of openness around our sexuality. Absolutely.
0: I think once you embrace it, there's nobody that can stop you, right? Absolutely. Because Kim is a perfect example of that, Kim Kardashian, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the sex tape, that's Mm -hmm. how she got famous. Then she did Playboy. Then she regretted it all. Mm -hmm. Remember, like, that breakdown when Mm -hmm. she was crying and Mm -hmm. now that crying emoji face is, like, everywhere? And then um, a few years later, after I think she had North, she was posing again
2: mm-hmm. nude, and people were like, "Oh, why is she doing that?" But you know what? She's owning her shit. You know what? And and I wonder if she regretted the decisions because we made her. Yes, we probably. helped her. We shamed her into yes. her re- into regretting it. But I think that um, boudoir photos, mm-hmm. one of the most empowering experiences for a woman. Mm-hmm. I did my first set of boudoir photos probably in oh four. Um, for my, they were going to be a surprise for my first ex-husband. He, by the way, he never got them because oh. he pissed me off. And I was like, you know what? F you. Yeah, I'll keep those. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I, I did them, and I was so terrified. And I think about the danger I could have potentially put myself in, but I, I, I don't know. what I, I guess I was more fearful than anything of the pictures. But I went to this this, this woman's studio, mm-hmm. and I mean, I hadn't, inten- I hadn't intended on doing any nude photos. Okay. I was just was gonna do the lingerie, but when mm-hmm. I got there, she laid out all of these beautiful spreads, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I want to try that!" And so we worked our way up into the whole nude, um, the whole nude photos, and I felt so liberated, so mm-hmm. free, you know. And it was amazing. And so I've done some over the years. I haven't done any recently, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's time. It's about that time for me to do some more." Um, but I think every woman should try it because yeah. it's just such an empowering, liberating experience. Because you're loving yourself flaws and uh no no matter how your body's shaped you're just loving on yourself and mm-hmm. it should and, and and as i think about it now although it initially started as i want to do this gift for my my husband at the time now it's for me right it's for me now right because i want to feel beautiful because i want to feel sexy and because it makes me feel so Fearless right. and empowered. And nowadays,
0: like, you don't even necessarily have to hire the best photographer. Yes. Like with the iPhone 10, you could grab one of your homegirls and be like, come <laughs> on, girl, let's, you know, go to a cool location and or, yeah. you know, let's set up some lights and mm-hmm. let's make it happen. Yeah. So one thing about sex therapy and being a sexologist that I read about is that it helps people that have been through sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And I had that question for you because I was wondering a lot of times. People, um, women especially, that might have been through, like, sexual abuse mm-hmm. or maybe were a traffic, like, sex trafficked mm-hmm. or whatever, it's, it's hard for them to be sexual, right, yes. after going through stuff like that. So how does sex therapy help somebody that's been through trauma?
2: See, the beautiful thing about sex therapy is that usually when people come to a sex therapist, it may be because they can't connect to their partner sexually. They can't orgasm. It's a, quote, unquote, sex issue. But once you start to really tap into what's really going on, you get to the root of, root cause of things. And you realize that there has been a trauma. And it, it'd be, it could be a trauma that they may not have even remembered because the way that trauma is stored in the brain is stored in fragmented pieces. Mm-hmm. So you can't remember it. Mm. because it's a way of protecting yourself. right? But once you start to go through therapy, those pieces start to come back together, and voila, here's this trauma now that's present that you have to deal with. Or not even necessarily therapy. Once you get into a relationship and something triggers those memories, they mm-hmm. start to come back together, and now you're faced with dealing with the trauma. And so sex therapy can definitely help you dig uh, dig deeper, mm-hmm. you know, and give you some tools, you know, like cognitive behavior therapy, um, just all these different techniques that we have as sex therapists um, to help you really... Unpack your stuff and become a sexual being again because it's like you really have to relearn everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have to come back to a place where you're loving yourself and respecting your body and forgiving yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the part. And, and I want to make a distinction here because a sexologist is anybody who works in the field of sexuality, mm-hmm. and a sex therapist is someone who actually actually has that mental health background to be able to do therapy. So mm-hmm. a sexologist may not necessarily be a sex therapist, and they can't do therapy. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm both. I'm a clinical sexologist, but then I also have um, certificates in sex therapy, which allow me, because I have a social work, mental health uh, clinical focus. Mm -hmm. And so that's what allows me to be able to do the therapy. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a difference. See, I'm glad that you pointed that out.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so what uh, tips would you give couples for a healthy sex life? Talk about it.
2: Talk about it. Communicate. Bring um, your, you know, uh, your thoughts and your desires to your partners um, in a, and create a safe space where you can talk about it. Um, not while you're getting ready to have sex mm-hmm. or before, you know, are in the middle of sex. Um, but just talk about it. Set up a nice romantic date or something and just, you know, have conversations and then also keep it spicy. Mm-hmm. The same things get born after a while. You know, the yeah. sex that you had at 20 is not the same type of sex you're going to have at 30 and 40 because your body changes. Right. Things change, you know, um, and life gets in the way. But I will, the one tip that I will say, don't let life get in the way of your intimacy mm-hmm. and your sexual relationship because ultimately that can cause the demise of your, your marriage or your what relationship. What about like the
0: couples that like set appointments for sex? Do you recommend that if you have a busy life? like, Because does that make it like, oh, it's time for sex or does it make it like, oh, I'm looking forward to
2: Thursday because it's, you know... T- I think it can be both, yeah. right? Because I've suggested that as a tool during sex, during sex therapy to, to some folks. They're like, oh, my gosh, schedule sex. You schedule everything else. You schedule to get your hair done. You schedule everything that's important in you, to you in your life, you schedule, right? But here's where the spontaneity comes oh, in. Why don't we think about it like that? Because it's sex. Right. <laughs> it's true because you
0: schedule your doctor's appointments. Yeah. You schedule what time you're leaving for work. You schedule when you're going to get gas in the car mm-hmm. or whatever.
2: Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's the spontaneity of it all, right? So just because you schedule sex at... Two o'clock on a Tuesday, you don't know when, where, and how. Mm-hmm. You don't know what toys you're going to incorporate. I mean, you can make it as creative as you want to. You're just setting a specific time mm-hmm. together. It's just like a date night. Yeah. You're setting that specific time together, you know, to just enjoy each other. Now, right. what that looks like, that's where the spontaneity comes in. Right. And, and for everybody, it's different. Yeah.
0: Okay. Absolutely. And
2: what's the biggest sex misconception? I think the biggest sex misconception is that we should already know how to please our partners.
0: Mm, that's and, a really good point yeah
2: I think that's it because we don't yeah and and then here's another thing a lot of people say well I shouldn't have to teach them why shouldn't you right because that's why you're unsatisfied that's why mm-hmm. you're unfulfilled that's why you're faking orgasms because you haven't told them what you like in the in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom whatever case may be you haven't told them you haven't talked to them and taught them like this is what pleases me that's why you're falling short Right, absolutely. I feel
0: like sometimes girlfriends are always a great resource too, Mm -hmm. because you get to chat and then you learn different things. Because I know for me, I remember, you know, talking to my girlfriends, and one of them was having a hard time giving PJs. She's like, I just, I don't know, I can't figure it out. I don't enjoy it. And then my other friend was like, Well, this is what you got to (laughs) do.
2: And after that, she was good. She was like, I got this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it, and sometimes we have to have those conversations. It's so funny because it's always that one girlfriend who has the yeah, answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> she knows it all. It yeah. reminds me of a girl's trip when Tiffany Haddish was like, the uh, grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, girl, I got you. Hold on. Try this, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest tip, she was just a lot of spit. <laughs> 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 yes, that's imp- that lubrication is important. Yep. Yeah, it's so true. Well, this is awesome. Okay, Doctor T if somebody's listening and they want to get their hands on one of your books or get you to come speak at their event, where can we find you? You can find me on all social media under my name at Doctor Tamara Griffin and it's D-R-T-A-M-A-R-A-G-R-I-F-F-I-N. I mean that's on my website as well, Doctor Tamara yeah, Dr. Tamara Um, I love speaking. I love working with all groups, especially religious and faith organizations. I love having conversations. That's Uh, the most challenging one. I love it. That's actually what I did my dissertation on. Um, Yeah, the the lived experiences. Perceptions and Belief of Faith Leaders to Implement Sexuality Program in Their Churches wow. or Their Faith Organizations, yeah. And so I've worked with churches for the past, gosh, I don't know, but I, but I love working with them. Um, and so, yeah, you can just, you know, email me, Tamara, at DrTamaraGriffin.com, and just, yeah, tell me what it is you need, and I'll be glad to be a resource, because that's why I got into this field, so that I can provide medically accurate, culturally relevant, you know, up-to-date, informative, and even entertaining sex education. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so let me just get back to Tiffany Haddish for one <laughs> second. Is that
2: grapefruit thing a real trick or was that just for the movie? You know what? It is a real trick. And there was some okay. controversy around that trick because another person is the person who claimed to have actually been the creator of the grapefruit method. And I knew about this other person years and years ago, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but honestly, I don't recommend the grapefruit method. Because what if you get it in the hole, like in the movie, right? That yeah. should probably sting. It does sting. And then also, if you go from um, a blowjob to vaginal sex, what does that do to the vagina right. with the, the, you know, the citrusy, um, acidic stuff on the penis? That could totally cause some irritation and mm-hmm. infections for the vagina. I think it's more like a novelty. It's something like, ooh, it's really cute and it, it maybe looks like a trick. But there are so many other things that you can do to stimulate that, uh, simulate the same uh, technique that the grapefruit method is trying to show you
0: okay yep. well there it is see there's the truth from the grapefruit we cleared that up too <laughs> yes see, tiffany had it so damn messy she always doing something. <laughs> love you girl right me too i love her she's my spirit animal for sure well dr tamara griffin thank you so much for coming on the girl power hour i yes. can't wait to talk to you next time absolutely. and uh you know we'll have some
2: more sex talk absolutely anytime, anytime. and maybe we'll thank take you. some questions
0: next time too cool. cool. that'll be fun yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> What a great episode. Thank you so much for joining us during Natalia's Girl Power Hour. Look forward to these episodes every two weeks. Me and Tyler will talk more pop culture, more women that inspire us, and more girl power players. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Give us a review if you'd like, and make sure you give us a follow on the gram at Natalia's Girl Power Hour. You can also follow us at Natalia on the air or at Tyler Fox.